Hey everyone, I'm Alex Lieberman, co-founder and executive chairman of Morning Brew. Welcome to season four of Fresh Invest, the podcast where we explore all things investing, sponsored by Fidelity Investments and powered by Morning Brew. In this season, we're exploring strategies and tips to help you invest wisely wherever you are in life. With help from our friends at Fidelity, we'll dive into the investing life cycle in the context of today's market landscape, emerging trends, and long-term wealth building strategies. Let's get into it. In episode seven, we looked at the intersection of AI and investing. We talked through how AI is transforming the global investing experience, and we highlighted some AI-based tools that can be leveraged in the financial services space. This week, in the penultimate episode of the season, we'll be exploring how each stage of life can correlate to its own investing style. Think college and your post-grad years, investing with your spouse, preparing for retirement, and other significant eras of life. We'll chat about starting or adjusting your investing style based on each life stage, understanding your stage's needs, and how it all plays into the bigger picture. To answer our questions and dive deeper into these life stages, we're joined by Kelly Lannon, SVP of Emerging Customers at Fidelity. Kelly, thanks for joining. Thanks, Alex, for having me. I'm so excited and great intro. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) So before we talk about uh, what investing looks like at different stages of life, can you just uh, lay the foundation and tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. So as as you mentioned, my name is Kelly. I work for Fidelity. I've been there for 10 years. So Alex, yeah, big anniversary year. Let me tell you. Yeah, I think there's actually celebration next week. Did you get your crystal ball yet? Uh, It's funny. (laughs) uh, When when you're five years, you get like this pyramid. And it's a big deal. Like People post (laughs) on social and stuff. So I got that stoked. But this year, we actually get to go to a party. So that is yes, cool. Yeah. Is it a party specifically for you or just for everyone just who's been there for, for 10 years? <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Actually, it's it's those who are celebrating all their different service anniversaries. Nice. So 10 years and beyond. So yes, it's going to be fun. You know, some of the colleagues are, are, are coming uh, who are at all different tracks. But Love it. I'm excited. It's kind of wild to think it's been that long, right? It's crazy. Yeah. If you look back, I'm like, what the heck? Was I also just like? feel like in the day and age we're in, 10 years at any company is like a lifetime. So yeah. congrats <laughs> on uh, making it through. Thank you, thank you. So, putting that aside, uh, and and I and I do love you know the, the company and what I do. So, um, my job at Fidelity is to really uh, engage and, and candidly, hopefully, inspire our next generation of customers to do more with their money, to engage more with their money. And um, this is something that um, you know is not only my job, but I, I, I'm so incredibly passionate about. So. Um, I, you know, I, I just got to learn a little about you, but you know, when I graduated school, I went to a liberal arts school. I basically went because I played hockey. I got recruited to play. So I was playing hockey. I was, um, taking music classes. I was almost one credit away from being a music minor. Alex, wow. uh, I don't know if it's wow, because, <laughs> um, I dance, play an instrument, uh, sing like to the point where the, the counselor told me, Hey, you know, right before I was going to graduate, Hey, if you take one more class, you can be a music minor. I, the first thought I, I kid you not, that came to my mind, my parents are going to kill me. I can not take any more classes, but you know, I, I graduated and um, I kind of got out to the real world and I looked around. And I was like, "What the heck was I learning in school?" You know, taking my music classes, playing hockey, and you know, really, what I mean by that is that no one really took the time. And Mike and Paula, they're my parents, wonderful people, you know, but we never talked really about money. Like, totally. like, like they didn't talk to me about budgeting or they didn't encourage me to get a credit card. They never talked to me about the stock market. Look, or what I, a 401k I came was, from a so. finance family and we never talked about those things either. Yeah. Like I was totally on my own once uh, I graduated from college. Yeah. So I don't know if you felt the same way, but you get out there and you're like, whoa, like, yeah. like I gotta, I gotta figure it out. I gotta get my act together. And 
you know, also when you graduate, you still want to have fun, right? You want to still have flexibility in your money to do so. So um, I was in the restaurant industry, went back to school, then came to Fidelity. And I remember I had this epiphany when I walked in the doors and I don't know what that guy was saying in my interview. And I was like, Fidelity's awesome. Like, like Fidelity's cool. And Fidelity is the power to help so many younger people. And so many younger people work here. Like, why are we doing more about this? And totally. so- it just became such a, a passion area. Um, our young investor initiative was kicking off. I had the opportunity to join that team. And I've just been, you know, working hard, you know, engaging our customers through digital experiences, through marketing, through our social networks, um, through how we service them, how we think about it. I now have a team of people um, that is really uh, glued awesome. to this mission. And I think it's really important work. And if we can, if we can help just one people, that, that's a real success. And I'm, I'm lucky to, you know, come in each and every day with that, with that mission kind of at the forefront of my mind. Totally. Well, you already alluded to it when you graduated from college, similar experience for me, like it is an incredibly daunting experience mm -hmm. to figure out your financial situation. When you graduate from school, you have a lot of decisions to make. You're making money for the first time in your life. You haven't been given any of this education, yeah. whether it's from family or from university. And so I actually want to start with that life stage in terms of thinking about investing for the person who's about to graduate college or the postgrad, someone like, you know, my sister who's been out of school for two or three years. What is the best advice you can give them in thinking about getting their feet wet in investing and also going from it feeling really daunting and unapproachable to actually feeling accessible? First of all, it can start in college. So we had about 1,400 interns who came to Fidelity, worked for us this summer, and same question. I met, met with like multiple every, every single week and all of them asked me, is there anything I can do now? You know, and so I think the answer is yes. And there's countless little tips and, and, and tricks from taking advantage of your student ID. I, I kid you not, I still kind of use my grad school oh, ID. I, I, I know. I'm like, is anyone going to catch me? Is this okay? You know, so uh, to not buying that fancy furniture or, you know, taking advantage of the cafeteria or, or getting that work study job or, hey, I babysat for my professor's kids when, when I was in school making, making that odd money. But I just say that because I think the first step is really working to build that foundation, build your financial foundation, take a step back and really understand anything coming in. So anything you're making, anything going out, and then understanding what's left going over at the end of that. That to me, high level, that's budgeting. I, I think sometimes we talk totally. about that word, you know, and people get really scared and they're like, oh, budgeting. Ugh. And it's a really word that like makes people feel defensive or I'm not going to do that. But at the very end of it, it's just having understanding of your money, you know, where's it going? Where's it coming, et cetera. And then, you know, once you get to that, you know, the thing you also want to consider is like, do you have money set aside in case something happens? Like that, the emergency fund, rainy day fund, whatever you yep. want to call it. I prefer emergency fund. You know, we can't predict, you know, when, when something's going to go bump in the night, you know, that the classic examples you're driving on your way to work, flat tire, right? You always want to make sure you have money set aside in case something happens. You know, I always recommend just start with something, you know, start, start with a hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, and then try to get to three to six months of those essential expenses. But as long as you're doing something, there's a lot of goodness in that. Student debt, debt in general, is such a significant piece of so many people's life. If, if you think about it, you know, with the pause on payments, um, I read a stat recently that 60% of those who have federal student debt have not made a single payment in over three years. And that's all coming to a head right now. And the, the amount of questions, the amount of fear, as well as the amount of impact that has on their money. So debt that you have must come into consideration. And that candidly is something you can start to think about and understand while you're in school. And then just kind of the last step is investing. You know, thinking about the long term, you know, I remember at, at 22 graduating and I was making nothing. I don't know what you're making after college. I was making nothing, you know. And so the prospect of opening up a 401k and employer sponsored retirement yep. plan that came up and 
you know, I graduated in the middle of the recession. And I remember my boss at the time telling me that money's coming out of your paycheck again, was making nothing and it's going in the stock market. And I specifically remember I was in the restaurant industry. There was a TV behind me on CNBC or one of those channels. And it was like, gloom, doom, ah, and, and I was like, you're telling me my money's going in that thing? You know, no way. I'm 22. Like I'm not going in the stock market. I'm terrified of that. However, what I think is important to know is that actually is something you can start thinking about now because time is on your side. You know, you can have the opportunity to weather the ebbs and flows of the stock market. And it's never too early, even when you're getting that financial foundation, to start to think about those longer term goals, like investing for those bigger purchase items or investing for something like retirement. Totally. Uh, Again, like some of this stuff may sound like so basic Mm -hmm. or simple to people, yet so many people don't comply with doing these basic things, right? You talk about just like the idea of having a budget and you can use whatever vernacular Mm -hmm. or jargon you want. It is simply saving more than you're spending or having an emergency fund. Like these are all basic things, but I do think the constant reminder is so important because there's so many people who don't do it, even though it's very basic to do. And I think oftentimes it's because it feels very daunting or you feel like it's one of those things that won't hurt you today so you can kick the can down the road. Mm -hmm. You talked about it at a macro level. I want to talk about it a little bit more specific now, which is when you graduate from college or when you're in, you know, your first few years out of college, you get a lot of like financial instruments thrown at your face. You get words thrown at your face and, you know, it's jargon that's specific to the industry and you have no idea what it means. And, you know, there are things like IRAs or if you have a full-time job, there's the 401k. And then when you're looking at IRAs, you don't even know what IRA means, but then it's like (laughs) Roth or is it traditional? It can become overwhelming very quickly. And so just even talking about these instruments, how do you think about the decision-making process around them? And any questions that if you were in the shoes of one of your interns who came to you and was like, I just was told about a traditional IRA Mm -hmm. and a Roth IRA for the first time, what questions do I even ask to get the right answers to know what I should do? How do you approach that? Yeah, I mean, we definitely tend to speak a different language sometimes in financial services, right? We have have our own other languages like all the the thousands of countries out there. But to hit upon kind of retirement in general, you mentioned a few terms. Let's actually start with the employer-sponsored retirement plan, something like a 401k, which you mentioned, or a 403b if those listening in are in the non-for-profit sector. So why I just think it's important to start there is because if you're getting out of school and you have multiple job opportunities, this is actually an important thing to ask. Like, do you have access to a 401k? If you do have access, is your employer willing to provide a match? And what that means is they're actually willing, because they like you, right? They're like, hey, Alex, I like you as a human. I'm going to help you get there one day. They're actually willing to also put money towards your retirement. Understand the percentage. Understand things like the vesting schedule when you can actually get that money if you leave the job after three to five years. I know I said 10 years, but that's like not the norm. You know, a lot of people are actually on average staying in their job only three years, sometimes even less. So these are really important to ask when you are looking for jobs. It's not just about that salary number. It's about the additional benefits. And one is, and I don't think sometimes people realize this, a benefit of working at a job is having access to a 401k, employer-sponsored retirement plan. So that is something, again, very basic, but I, but I just want to stress and make totally. sure people understand that, especially the younger listeners. Now, for those who maybe are still in school or don't have a full-time job in the gig economy or just also looking to save for their retirement, because let's face it, I, I love what I do. You love what you do, right? Yep. Like, I don't want to work forever, right? Like, I, I don't want to work forever. Maybe retirement's going to change for me in the future, right? Like uh, other listeners out there. 
But for those who might want to get started and maybe don't have access, there are things called IRAs, which you mentioned. So individual retirement accounts, so different than the workplace account. And these are things that you could open outside your workplace. Yep. The Roth IRA and the traditional IRA, this comes up all the time, especially kind of with the younger audience that I speak to. First of all, they're both very powerful accounts that can help someone save and invest in their retirement. So that's a great thing. They have tax advantages to both of them. And that really is also a key difference. You know, usually with, with younger people, if they believe that they're going to be at a higher tax bracket or at a higher income level when they get older, a Roth could be a good option for them to look at because they'll pay taxes on the money going into the Roth now. It grows tax deferred year over year. And then because they already paid the taxes when they're trying to take the money out, they don't, don't have, have to pay to them again. Time. Exactly. So they get they, they get the tax break a little bit later in life when yeah. they need the money. And maybe they're at a higher income level. Now, TRAD, again, has some tax advantages. Money grows tax-free, you know, year over year. But you actually get the tax advantage r right now because you're not necessarily putting after-tax money in, but the money is tax-deductible, meaning you can deduct it from your income now and get a break at tax time. So that's really the biggest difference between these two accounts. I think both could be and are a good option if you wanted to get invested in your retirement, especially if you either, A, don't have access through one through your workplace or if you wanted to do one in addition to it. And just for our listeners who now have heard 401k, if you're working at a company, if you're a gig economy worker or a consultant and you have traditional IRA or Roth IRA as options, are IRAs and 401ks mutually exclusive? Like if someone works at a company, will they just get a 401k as an IRA and option? Or no, yes, you can have both a, a 401k and an IRA. Now, the thing with Roth, I will say this, is that there is income level. So if you're making a certain amount, you might not have the opportunity to contribute to a Roth. Trad doesn't necessarily have that, but you can have both accounts. Um, many people do have both accounts. The only thing that I would just recommend a little bit of, of, of Kelly advice more than anything is that if you aren't putting enough into your 401k to get the match, remember, that's like free money. That's yep, like your company totally. saying, hey, I like you, Alex. I like you, Kelly. I'm gonna give you a little money. If you're not putting enough money in that account to get to the match and you go open up one of these second accounts and you're putting money to that, I would just argue it might be a great idea. There's to, just real opportunity. Exactly. Cost. Make sure you're putting enough to get the match, get your match um, before maybe opening another account. Because the other thing is just like, we've kind of already talked about this already, like simplicity, yep. right? It's two accounts. You have to make sure that you're doing the right thing. And just because you have the account, there's money in it. You got to make sure it's invested too. I can't tell you how many of our phone reps have to take a call where someone thinks their money was actually invested and turns out it necessarily wasn't doing that. Again, just sometimes to keep these simple, maybe one is the option, but if you feel like you need both, you're putting enough in, you definitely can have both accounts at the same time. Totally. So let's keep the life of an investor going along. Yeah. And we'll just use me as the example. So say we were just talking about Alex, senior year uh, mm -hmm. at Michigan or a few years after um, where he was, you know, working in finance before going to Morning Brew. Let's talk about Alex today. Yeah. So uh, eight years out of school, uh, newly married. And there are a lot of just questions that come up for anyone who... Uh, well, first of all, newly married. Congrats. Yes, thank you. I'm sure thank your you. listeners know, but that's awesome. So yes. how long... I, I can see you fiddling with your ring right now, my friend. So you, you have to, it's a, weird I'm, to get used to I'm it, right? I'm a big fidget toy person. Yeah. So this is my new fidget toy. <laughs> so how long has it been? Uh, it's been somewhere between two and three months. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Super happy. Yeah. And, you know, we went on uh, a honeymoon this summer. So it's great. Oh, so nice. Where'd you go? We did Africa. Oh, my yeah, goodness. So, so Gracious. We, we are bad at relaxing by the pool. Uh -huh. So, you know, something like um, Barbados or Greece was, was not, not in the cards for, for us. 
Um, but yeah, we did some gorilla trekking when uh, on safari, did Rwanda and Kenya, and it was uh, an amazing bucket experience. bucket list stuff right there, it my was friend. Awesome. That's amazing. Well, congrats on, Thank on you. being married. So that, that's you. the bigger bucket list item, but <laughs> Africa's a pretty, pretty cool piece of it too. It's all been great. But you know, when I've talked to you now, a lot of my friends uh, are also either married or they're engaged. And I think just for anyone who is newly married or about to get married, it's an incredibly exciting time, but it also can be a stressful time as it relates to thinking about kind of the logistical things that have to happen when you're sharing a life with someone for the rest of your life. And one of those key pieces is your finances. Yeah. And, you know, conversations come up around combining finances. Who's going to be the breadwinner? Are both people going to be the breadwinners? One person going to be a stay-at-home parent. How do you think about the way that people who are at this stage of life should be approaching thinking about investing or even having conversations about investing yeah. when they enter this period. Yeah. You know, I think we're going to see a common theme that the life events that we go through are so intertwined with our money and our finances. And often it is these life events that bring up these discussions. And, you know, you, you said something to end is the conversations, the communication. Yep. That is key. It, it, it sounds so simple, but if you aren't talking about your money, if your spouse doesn't understand how much you make, if your spouse does not tune in to the goals that you have in life and vice versa, what they have in life, that can cause trouble. You know, in fact, one in five couples tell us that money is the top stressor and the top reason that they argue in their relationship. You know, about half have told us that they've had an argument about money. Candidly, I actually think that's pretty low. But again, so we constantly see that, you know, that, that lack of communication, that money in a relationship, if you aren't having those conversations, can cause problems. So you know, that would be my biggest recommendation is that even though it may be uncomfortable, those conversations need to happen. You know, candidly, Alex, they are ones that should happen before you get married. You know, yeah. a lot of younger people, they're moving in with their significant other before marriage. They may be delaying marriage that, you know, a lot of these choices are happening even before that. But that would what I would recommend above all, you know, set aside a, a date night where that's what you plan to talk about. Nothing like, more romantic than some steak wine and talk exactly. about 401ks. Yes, we're romance. So we're fellow <laughs> finance geeks, so we get it. But, you know, I, I know we're laughing about it, yeah. but like sometimes that's what it needs to take yeah. to, to force the, the conversation or, you know, the, those, those silly little quizzes on social media where you're standing next to your spouse and they're asking questions. Who's the saver and who's the spender? And yep. you're turning your head to the side. Like, Take those and use those silly little opportunities to, to start to have those conversations. If, you know, you're both saying that you're both the saver, you're both the spender, then use that as an opportunity to be like, oh, wait, hold on. Are we even on the same page? And on that note, when I say communication, like you do have to talk about things like short term goals, long term goals. What What is your plan for the future? Because depending on those answers is really going to help define the approach that you have to your money, both, both separate and, and together. Yep. I think that makes total sense. And it just sounds like, again, simple, but a lot of people don't do it. Just having strong communication mm -hmm. upfront, proactively, <laughs> ideally before you're married around these topics of like, what are your money goals, short-term, long-term? Yeah. How do we work towards them together? How are our risk profiles around how we want to grow our wealth different or the same? Like you said, like that is the name of the game because so many people don't have these conversations mm -hmm. and it just leads to people being caught off guard. Yeah. Unfortunately, at times where it could have been avoided. Yeah. And, you know, risk profiles, you know, it's okay if you don't have the same profile, you know, like if I'm more conservative, my husband is, you know, is more willing to take on risk. That's okay. That's going to happen. You, you can't change that. 
However, if you stay aligned to your goals, if you understand how your risk profile can inform how you're investing your money and you stick to it and you understand that, that can help to determine what you're invested in, in those specific shared accounts. Um, I've, I've met couples who keep things you know, together, but then keep things separate. And, and that might be an opportunity if someone wants to be a little riskier, you can do it in that account. The other thing too, if you can, bring in a referee, right? <laughs> like totally. bring, in, bring in a another party, like use the opportunity to bring in an advisor into the conversation. If, if you do disagree, he can be a third party neutral that can have the conversation with you and make sure that you're in track, even though you have kind of different views on things. It's why therapists are out there, right? You have a financial therapist, go to advisor, go to a, go to a branch and bring someone else into the conversation. That can always be an option as well. Totally. So now let's jump to the next stage, yeah. which is the We're stage. just flying through life. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. If life was this simple. Yeah, um, seriously. So you get to the stage now where you're a parent, you have teenage kids, yeah. you're thinking about sending them off to college. Again, not just financially, but emotionally, it's probably a, it can be a difficult time in life for mm -hmm. the first time in, you know, let's call it 18 years. Yeah. You're thinking about empty house, dog and husband or dog and wife, like, what do you do now? See, I have two very young children, so that's like my dream. <laughs> all all totally. people with older children are like, oh, you're going to miss them. I'm like, really? That is hilarious. You know, and this one won't sleep. But yeah, sorry, keep going. <laughs> and so you're having kind of this anticipatory anxiety around this stage. Yeah. And then one of the things you're also thinking about is like your kid going to college and how are you going to finance that? And what are certain financial decisions you have to make around the stage? Are there certain instruments you should be thinking about that will set your family up and your child up for being in a place where referring to rising student debt in this country a few minutes ago, hopefully you're in a privileged place where they don't need to be so worried about having mm -hmm. mounting debt. What are some of the things that parents who are making decisions to set their kids up for success in college should be thinking about? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think we got to take it way back. I don't know if you experienced this. I specifically remember like the day I got engaged, I'd been engaged for like an hour. The first question that I was asked is when are you getting married or when's the wedding? Yep. Of course. Literally walking down the aisle at my wedding, the first question I'm asked, like in my dress, when are you having kids? You, you know what I mean? So no, I mean like we were joking about how fast it goes, yeah, yeah. but this is just like human nature. This is how, this is how we do things. So First of all, like in order to set your kids up for success, there are financial options, there are financial accounts that, you know, you could consider to do just that. Millennials, uh, Gen X, these are generations that saw student debt, the mounting student debt for the first time, and they want nothing more than to make sure their kids aren't experiencing yep. what they're, curr that they're currently seeing. So there's an account called a 529 account. It is an account that one can start saving for their children's future educational expenses. It can be invested. There's a variety of plans depending on the state that you live in. There's tax advantages to it. It is something that parents, grandparents can open on behalf of children in their life. People can contribute, just not the account holder. Other people can contribute too. Like the amount of toys and in, in, in candlelight kind of crap I get from my kids. I'm like, can you just put <laughs> that $5 that you bought that stuffed animal and put it in their 529? You, you know what I mean? So like other people can contribute. It, it, it's a it's a solid gift, right? I wonder if you pitch that to your kid. Hey, do you mind? Rather than getting you a set of Legos next month, can yeah. I just put all this in your 529? I oh, wonder that how that like go two, over with them. Yeah, that was the two-year-old birthday <laughs> invitation, yeah, yeah. you know? Like, you know, he has no gifts unless yeah, exactly. it goes in your you know. But in all seriousness, you know, that is an account that one might consider if they want to save for their future children expenses. And let's say your kid doesn't end up going to college. You can change beneficiaries if you have two kids on there. So there's some advantages to look at that account and you can start early. You know, you can start right when they're born, before they're born. Um, and as we already, you know, discussed, like with investing and with, with time, it can be on your side, especially when they're younger. So 
We touched upon a few other things too to think about, like for example, healthcare costs. I know that we were talking about, you know, how a lot of couples when they're having conflict, sometimes it can be about money. Healthcare costs are such uh, an important thing for individuals to look at, especially as they're getting older, the rising yeah. costs of healthcare. And so, you know, they're an account, an HSA account, a health savings account, which is an option that one can get if they have a high deductible plan. Uh, for example, my company actually has that benefit to their employees and they're actually putting money in. That's another account in which you have triple tax savings that one can actually look at to save for qualified medical purchases. I always use my HSA money to yep. pay for my contacts, totally. you know, so they're, they're, they're not cheap. So that is also an option to look at, especially if healthcare is on your mind. And then we can't, you know, I have one of my good friends is in our uh, life insurance business at, at Fidelity. Life insurance is something, right? Like there are life insurance options, life insurance plans that you can actually purchase through your employer and work through your employer. You can, you can get it, you know, if you don't have the option through your employer. But this is another way to make sure that your family and those that you loved around you are, are, are set up financially in case, God forbid, anything ever happens to you. The life insurance conversation opens a whole can of worms because I feel like it's not just a question of like if life insurance makes sense, but it's also like when, like when oh, is course, yeah. the right time yeah. for someone to actually look into a policy? Yeah, no. And, you know, I, I think now, <laughs> no, 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 I, I'm laughing, yeah. but I'm serious because um, if, if you keep waiting, that's one of the things that like inertia settles in and you know totally. in the back of your mind you should do it, but you just haven't done it. And, and it just gets more expensive. Exactly. And I think the other thing is um, we've talked about like the concept of planning or thinking about these things and, and I get it. it. It can feel heavy, but think about all the other things in our life that we plan for, right? Like I planned what I was going to wear. I, I plan my flight later on today. Like I plan for all these little things. I plan what I'm going to do this weekend. I plan all these little things. Like everyone listening, you should take the time to plan for your money because that can lead to so many other things. You totally. Know? So. And I mean, the way that I think about it is at the end of the day, like every choice we make in life is one of two choices. It's either short-term pain for long-term mm -hmm. gain or long uh, or short-term gain for long-term pain, mm -hmm. right? So basically, if you make the decision or the indecision to not budget, mm -hmm. you're embracing the just the comfortability of doing yeah. what you're doing now, but you deal with the discomfort of potentially just not having money in your bank account down the road. Mm -hmm. Similar type of thing of if you embrace kind of the hard conversations around your finances with your significant other before you get married or you embrace the conversation of, you know, facing your own mortality by having a conversation around life insurance today, you know, pays dividends down the road. There, there's yeah. a compounding effect of feeling uncomfortable about these conversations up front. Of course. Yeah. And, you know, money touches every aspect of our life. Totally. It, it, it's just true. And, you know, I think we want to make sure, and especially with my job, that people start thinking about the things and they start to build these habits, even if they're uncomfortable when they are younger. So as they get older and things only get harder, you know, when you're younger, I was joking about my kids, but man, those things are hard, you know, like things are only going to get harder. So if you can start to build these financial habits when you're younger, it's just going to become second nature to you. And, and that's why it is so important that we have the opportunity to engage younger people. Totally. So let's complete the circle of life sure. with... Uh, Lion King reference, love <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I'm just picturing... Uh, Africa, Simba, yeah, your time. Simba and Rafiki right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For people who are approaching retirement, mm -hmm. either maybe they're considering retiring early or yeah. they have a plan to retire at 65, it's funny when, like you mentioned before, when you enter these different life stages, there are challenging money conversations you have. Yeah. And there's just overall discomfort. Yeah. And I would say the discomfort that is characterized by this stage of life is the idea of no longer generating income from your work. And I can speak to not necessarily the exact experience because I'm not 65 years old, but I can speak to the discomfort I have when I think about 
how uncomfortable it would be to not have a job and not be bringing in money that funds my expenses in yeah. life. Mm -hmm. Like the idea of eating away at my nest egg is really uncomfortable. Yeah, like you have, I have like anxiety Exa exactly. describing it. So. And, and so how for people that are starting to broach both the conversation, but also work through kind of like the, the mental gymnastics of that is okay. And that's why you have saved up for a period of time. What would be your thought on how they should be thinking about things from an investing perspective as they make this switch? Yeah, you know, I, I think a few things come to mind. You know, the first thing is going back to that plan, really taking a look and understanding what type of life you want to live in, in your retirement, right? Like, do you want to still do a lot of the same things you're currently doing in your working years? Do you want to completely switch it up? Do you want to travel more, travel at whatever that is? And really go back to the plan and have a strong understanding of the savings that you have in order to do just that. You mentioned how retirement is far off. I know I've alluded to the fact like retirement for me might look different. It might not just be stopping work. It might yep. be doing something different, right? And I think a lot of people in our generation, that's how they're viewing it. That could also be something like, could you extend your retirement years? Not necessarily in that same job, but are there other opportunities for other work? A colleague of mine shared a story. Her dad retired a few years ago. He got like basically a side hustle working in Home Depot because totally. he loved Home Depot, you know, all his life. And so he kept working. He was bringing in additional it. income and he extended some of those retirement years. It reminds me of, uh, I do this other series called 60 Second Startup and I have entrepreneurs pitch me in 60 seconds. No and one of the recent ones that I had on was this guy who is, I want to say he's in his early 70s and he was a surgeon for his entire career. And he's decided to just become an entrepreneur because he found a problem in kind of his later stage of yeah. life. And he came out with uh, something called the wet wipe wizard because people use wet wipes at the toilet now, but there's nothing that automatically dispenses them. So he invented it and like that is the business he's nice. building. So I think to your point, it's like people can have multiple careers yeah. over the course of their lifetime. Like we're not, especially in today's day and age, like mm -hmm. single career individuals necessarily. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, also as you're getting closer to retirement, you do have the opportunity to catch up, to actually put a little bit more away, you know, within your 401k or an IRA. When you get to age 50, you can actually put more towards, or even the HSA, when you get yep. to 55, you can put an additional $1,000 a year. So take advantage of those things. Make sure you're shoring things up. Take a look at the investments in your portfolio, and that might be an opportunity where you have to rebalance. Even if you have a certain risk profile, if you're getting closer to needing that money, you might need to rebalance accordingly. And if you have any questions, like pick up the phone and call, you know, yeah. your financial provider, go, go to an advisor, talk to someone, and make sure you're getting the guidance. Um, and, and something else, maybe a little bit more basic, is the concept of downsizing. Like. I got to say, when my parents sold um, my childhood home, even though I, I mean, I went to a boarding school for part of high school, like, even though I didn't live there for so long, I was like, how could you do this to me, blah, blah, blah. But like, it made all the sense in the world. Totally. They didn't need that space. They didn't leave, need to live in a town that was building a new high school and taxes were going up. And so they were able to downsize, you know, again, think a little bit differently about their money. And one other thing too, try to have these conversations. You know, I'm not quite at that stage with my parents, but some of my colleagues have shared that, Truly understanding and seeing that maybe people in your life, your parents in your life are not as set up for retirement as they might have thought or you might have thought, it feels beyond uncomfortable. But at the end of the day, like, I think your parents took care of you your whole life. Now it's time to kind of do the opposite. So totally agree. Let's round out the conversation with strategies and principles around making your money work for you that are not stage specific. Everything we've talked about before this question has been stage specific ways to think about your money. 
what are evergreen strategies, irrespective of what stage of life you're in, that you would be recommending to a 75-year-old the same way you'd be recommending it to a really sophisticated seven-year-old? I think of it in three pieces. I think the first is have that diversified investment portfolio. You know, you, you'll see a theme around investing because I believe this, I'm sure you too, like investing is a way to make your money work a little bit harder for you. I truly believe that everyone should get started with in, in investing, you know, and, and have the ability, have the access to do it. And we've made a lot of changes at Fidelity to allow that. But the first is have that kind of tailored investment portfolio. Understand your goals, short and long-term, understand your plan and apply it accordingly. The next is really understanding your risk profile. You're always going to have to do it. It just might differ depending on the age and the stage of life you're in. When you're younger, you have the opportunity to take on a little bit more risk. But as you get older, closer to retirement, you might have to peel back a little bit. And then the third piece is the management of it. The plan you have at 20 is not going to yep. be the plan you have at 30 or 38 or 48 or in, and beyond. So no, just like every other aspect of life, you might have to flex your plan accordingly as things change, as you go through life, certain life events, and as you get older and you go through different life stages. Love it. Kelly, this has been such an amazing conversation. I can't help but picture now your kids being financial whizzes that are talking about 401ks and traditional IRAs at the dinner table, given just how oh, much yeah. knowledge you've provided yeah, in well, this I conversation. Yeah, I met my husband at work at Fidelity and get to like <laughs> super romance, right? I always say it's a great place to meet people, right? Good retirement plan, so background funny. tech. So like, but again, so uh, I hope so because uh, I have two young girls and, you know, I know I know you had one of my colleagues on this a, a few weeks ago and Lorna Capsta and I always talk about this, that the gender gap is real. It's there. And totally. so if I can inspire all young people, but especially young girls out there to lean more into their money, um, then I will feel really good. I love it. <laughs> you know, when, when I'm done and onto my next career after this. Awesome. Kelly, thanks so much for thanks, joining the Alex. podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is great. You're awesome. Thank you for tuning in to Fresh Invest today. No matter what stage of life you find yourself in, I hope this episode gave you a helpful look at how to align an investing style with where you are so you can navigate the financial landscape with confidence. This kind of guidance can be the starting point we need to find our footing, and I hope this episode helped give you insight into where you stand and how to get where you're going next. Don't forget to join us again next week for our finale, a recap episode of the entire season with highlights of exceptional moments, key takeaways, and reflections on the topics that you absolutely loved. Let's send this season off with a bang. We'll see you there. This podcast was created on behalf of Fidelity Investments by the Morning Brew Creative Studio and does not reflect the opinions or point of view of the Morning Brew editorial team. Fidelity and Morning Brew are independent entities. Information presented herein is for discussion and illustrative purposes only, and it is not a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities. The views and opinions expressed by the speaker are his or her own as of the date of the recording and do not necessarily represent the views of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Any such views are subject to change at any time based on market or other conditions. Fidelity disclaims any responsibility to update such views. These views should not be relied on as investment advice and because investment decisions are based on numerous factors, may not be relied on as an indication of trading intent on behalf of any Fidelity product. Neither Fidelity nor the Fidelity speaker can be held responsible for any direct or incidental loss incurred by applying any of the information offered. Please consult your tax or financial advisor for additional information concerning your specific situation. This podcast is intended for U.S. persons only, and it is not a solicitation for any Fidelity product or service. This podcast is provided for your personal, non-commercial use and may contain copyrighted works of FMR LLC, which are protected by law. You may not reproduce this podcast in whole or in part in any form without permission of FMR LLC. 
Fidelity and the Fidelity Investments and Pyramid Design logos are registered service marks of FMR LLC. Copyright 2023 FMR LLC. All rights reserved. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. For distribution to be considered qualified, the five-year aging requirement has to be satisfied, and you must be age 59 and a half or older or meet one of several exemptions, disability, qualified first-time home purchase, or death among them. A distribution from a traditional IRA is penalty-free provided certain conditions or circumstances are applicable. Age 59 and a half, qualified first-time home buyer, up to $10,000. Birth or adoption expense, up to $5,000. Qualified higher education expense, death or disability. Health insurance premiums, if you are unemployed some unreimbursed medical expenses, substantially equal periodic payments or tax levy. Units of the portfolios are municipal securities and may be subject to market volatility and fluctuation. Any earnings on non-qualified distributions are subject to federal income taxes at the distributee's rate, as well as to a 10% federal penalty tax. The information provided here is general in nature. It is not intended nor should be construed as legal or tax advice. Because the administration of an HSA is a taxpayer responsibility, customers should be strongly encouraged to consult their tax advisor before opening an HSA. Customers are also encouraged to review information available from the Internal Revenue Service, IRS, for taxpayers, which can be found on the IRS website at www.irs.gov. They can find IRS Publication 969, Health Savings Account and Other Tax-Favored Health Plans, and IRS Publication 502, Medical and Dental Expenses, including Health Coverage Tax Credit, online. Or you can call the IRS to request a copy of each at 800-829-3676. With respect to federal taxation only, contributions, investment earnings, and distributions may or may not be subject to state taxation. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure profit or guarantee against loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC, 900 Salem Street, Smithfield, Rhode Island, 02917, 1108288.1.0. Thanks for tuning in to Fresh Invest, sponsored by Fidelity Investments and powered by Morning Brew. Check out fidelity.com slash freshinvest to open a Fidelity account and learn more about the topics we covered in this week's episode. See you on the next one.